welcome to We're Not Wizards. We are the best, but not wizards. Enjoy the show! So the We're Not Wizards, my name's Richard. I'll be your host for June. We're there. We're like halfway through the year. It's just, it's strange. It's weird. It's kind of like the sun is here. The sh- it's shining. The grass has been cut on several different occasions. And, you know, it's like the sun's good. You're going outside. You're feeling better about yourself. It's almost like it gets you kind of in the mood to be kind of activated, almost like an activist type kind of styley, and you are ready to go out and make changes to the world. But in order to make changes to the future, you've also got to look about the changes that you can make in the present, and you can reflect on that by looking at the changes that have happened in the past, because we've really got to learn about what happened in the past if we're going to educate ourselves about how we can move the way forward. So in an educational way, there's a game I played recently, which was about activism, activism that took place in the past, especially around in the good old United States of America's. Um, And it happened over here. It was the suffrage movement. Uh, There was a lady who unfortunately jumped out in front of the king's horse and died. But over in America, it took place over the states and the ratification of the 19th amendment so i need somebody here who's going to tell me if i'm summing it up it's all about votes for women and there's only one person i can bring in to talk about votes for women it's the designer of the game that's come to us from four circle games but they are their own independent person it's tori brown hello Hello. Well, that's quite an introduction. I want to take a walk and change the world all at once. <laughs> and the sunny breeze, when it's kind of outside, and it is kind of joyous. I don't know where you're in. Are you still in? Are you in DC? Yep, Washington DC. That's. Don't correct me. Don't don't give me hints. That's East Coast. Yes, on the Atlantic. It's on the Atlantic because Washington State is on the West Coast, up the very very top. That and is the other Washington. That's where Fraser yeah. hangs out. And that's right in Seattle. Nirvana used to hang out. And Pearl Jam yeah, used to hang out. But on this side, you've got monuments and buildings and government. Gov- Fugazi and Bad Brains <laughs> and all of our. Uh, the only reason I know what a Fugazi is is because of Wolf of Wall Street with oh. Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> going, do you know what a, <laughs> do you know what a Fugazi is? It's a whizzy, it's a woozy, it's, you know, it's fresh air, you know. It's all about... You do a very good McConaughey. I, I, I used to do, was it... I, I A long time ago, he also, also used to do, um, was it Owen Wilson as well? You know, wow, oh. wow. And then he got into, oh. you know, he got into Loki. <laughs> what are you doing? Could you do this whole interview as Owen Wilson? Well? No, no, let's not. <laughs> no, because that would be terrible. It wouldn't work. <laughs> it wouldn't, you know, no. I'm just, you know, I'm talking here by myself and um wow um but wow. then you go and you get into almost like jeff goldblum because it's you've got to have That's this oh yeah you go over the over the ridge over the rainbow more like um so 
<laughs> coming full circle almost into like fort circle because we're drawing all the the force into a circle i want it right there's questions that you can ask a board game designer okay and then there's questions that i like to like ask before the board game designer became a board game designer so what mm-hmm. i like to say is i like to have a kind of like a look past a look back at the past before we have a little kind of scurry about in the present and then we kind of launch ourselves off into the suffrage of the future so my first question to you is right on 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 your bgg bio which obviously i've been researching for weeks and finding all the kinds of snippets of information you know i am a very very good and organized interview air um thorough it says (laughs) thoroughbred it's like a horse to count <laughs> up to four. Clump, clump, clump. Um, you say you're a long-time activist. Yes. Do you remember, was there a particular event that changed you from someone who was just standing there kind of looking by and things went on to saying, actually... I want to do something about this. I want to actually actively make a change. Because... I, and, and not just like go on to social media and go, this is terrible. Have you seen this? But I, or put up a whole load of gifts, but actually go out there and kind of start that journey. So uh, I had the great advantage of not growing up with social media. I am way too old for that ish. And so fortunately uh, I am an old lady. And so that was great. Uh, I think, you know, I, there was always a bit of awareness of the sort of world. Mm. I was one of those nerds who would like watch the news in 2020 yeah. as like an elementary junior high kid. And I had the great fortune, I see it now, of moving around a lot as a kid. Right. Um, I lived on the West Coast, West Coast, close to the, um, the Mexican border. I lived in, um, the middle of America okay. in Kansas in a farming town. I lived in the DC suburbs where there was a lot of money and power and, the idea of being able to see as much of America as I did and still see a lot of the problems that we face, the way that inequality worked, the you know sexism and misogyny, mm. right? That wherever I was, there were these problems and, you know, they took different forms. They looked a little bit different, but that there was still so much we faced together created this awareness that, you know, something could be done about it. And there's a bit of a naivete that I refuse to let go that we can do something about it. Um, But I was active in uh, policy debate as a kid. I would dress up in a little suit on weekends with a little um, briefcase and argue about policy as a child, which is just what were my parents doing? Like, what were my parents? But... Uh, the idea that I could argue a position from front and back, yeah. against and for, whatever the case might be, all created a lot of, um, of this idea in me that there were policy solutions right. to big problems that we face. And that then through the, um, the sort of world of activism, through organizing, that we could do something about it. Okay. Did you move around? Was it, was it, do you have family in the military or was it just kind of like it's more, one of these things you just uh, ended up kind of moving uh, about a bit? 
economic instability. I think the, mm. you know, life in San Diego, California was really expensive. My family was looking for somewhere with a, um, uh, sort of lower cost of living. Mm. My mom had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and was oh, on nice. social security disability. Yeah. Which is, and it's just really tough to raise a family in, um, a place like San Diego on public assistance. And so that, right, the inefficient, the, the sort of insufficiency of public assistance, how hard it was for her to get on it, um, you know, that created some awareness that like, hey, there's this public policy and it's not working for my family. Yeah. Um, and then in high school, I ended up moving to live with my uh, dad and stepmom okay. in Northern Virginia for economic opportunity, right? This idea that we are driven to move and to, um, you know, seek new opportunities, yeah. You know, regardless of borders is one that I've like experienced as a young person and still respect the folks that are moving across borders and across countries and oceans today. Yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, in the States, people seem to be having to move borders to escape certain kind of stateside uh, laws that are having that are having kind of like a direct effect on their on their, cl- their kind of they, their lives. If they can. Right. There's yeah. like an economic privilege to that. A lot of folks cannot pick up. They have emotional ties. Mm-hmm. They have all sorts of reasons why they will or will not move. And it should not be incumbent upon people to move to where their rights are respected. Yeah. In a place like the United States, it should be right, like rights driven um, regardless. Yeah. And opportunity, I always find is a funny word because it depends who says it. Because I've heard mm-hmm. people kind of defending the most kind of heinous kind of... um socioeconomic policies as kind of like everybody should have they miss they, they kind of they think that the word rights and the word opportunity are kind of interchangeable mm-hmm. so you say that everybody should have we have the kind of the ruling the ruling party it's like we let the clowns run the circus but um <laughs> they like to use the word opportunity a lot so it's not like everybody should have the right to have access to further education. Everybody should have the opportunity to have access to further education, which means it usually comes down to whether or not you've kind of like got an economic kind of foundation kind of underneath to make sure you can kind of have that opportunity, which I'm probably preaching the converted over there, seeing as, you know, <laughs> in, you know in the States kind of ca- capitalist Everybody's talking about, well, it's cyberpunk 2029, which is kind of like a dystopian future. It's like, are you sure? <laughs> because we're, we seem to be getting there pretty, <laughs> an awful lot quicker than 2079 or whatever it's going gonna, it's gonna, gonna to set in. Yeah. So move it. So then from a professional basis, because you, you said you moved to kind of, um, you're with your, kinda, your, your, your dad and, and your stepmom. So, did the act? Did your kind of initial kind of um, activism continue, and did that mold itself into the type of career that you were kind of looking to get yourself into? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I went to school outside of uh, the DC. DC Proper's was in the suburbs. I went to George Mason University. Uh-huh. And uh, there I took a class called Interest Groups Lobbying the Political Process. Right. And I knew about lobbying as like businesses lobbied for things they wanted. Yeah. I hadn't really ever thought about how people could lobby Congress yeah. for what they wanted. Right. Um, and the idea that citizens can get together and whether, you know, AARP is the American Association of Retired People is really famous lobby for people 60 and up, um, that there are all sorts of organizations that people come together. 
to then hire a lobbyist or to sort of do citizen activism mm. to get the kind of policy outcomes that they want. So that class really opened my mind on like a career path of the work that I could be doing. Um, but I'd say the sort of most extreme moment of my activism or awakening, as it mm. were, was the build up to the Iraq war in 2002 and three, and the way that the levers of government and the people in power were willing to, you know, shed you know, my, right, like classmates' blood, all of this treasure, all of this goodwill yeah. and, you know, credibility across the country. Um, and, you know, while me and other folks like me were marching in the streets screaming, like, absolutely not, this is going to turn out terribly. Yeah. And it did, right? Like, not to be like, I was right, but I, we were right. Yeah. Um, but the, the sort of activism of like, we, you know, we didn't get it done, right? The, the anti-war movement did not get it done in 2002 or 2003. What could we do for the next time that there is a run-up to war where the military-industrial complex decides that it is going to run amok in order to establish and, you know, pursue its own existence? Um, you know, what could be different? And that has led me to a number of di- different issues, none of which in the intermediary have been specifically anti-war, but they've certainly been anti-imperial and they've been in a sort of what I would call a, you know, a broad scale progressive lens, be it workers' rights, be it reproductive freedom, be it some of these environmental movement, um, that there's all of these issues that are intertwined and that I've worked on a number of those fronts. And I've been lucky throughout my career to be able to fight both in the sort of the federal level at Congress and um, what's happening in Congress and the Senate and the presidential uh, White House, as well as at the state level where there's not as much energy and there's not as much attention. There certainly isn't as much funding and how much gets decided, like you were just saying, right? Like rights are now state by state um, being invested in what happens at your state house and at your local political level matters a whole lot more than what those schmucks are doing across the street in Congress, and your voice has much more impact. So seeing all of this happen and play out and what our ability to change things for the better, to create a more just world, city, state, um, been a big part of my career and the work that led me to something like designing a game about uh, social movement. In terms of, because it, is it the case then that if somebody is looking to say, um, they're looking to kind of improve the kind of the overall healthcare for a certain sector, then it, your job would be to be, well, I know how to bend the ear of the local kind of government, this, you know, the look at the senator for that area, look at the governor for that area and show you how to kind of approach that and kind of um, gain some traction with it. Is that the kind of thing that you're kind of it's doing? A, it's, a great, it's a great way to put it. I think it's the idea of, how are we telling a story about healthcare in a certain sector? Mm -hmm. So I do messaging and communications work. And so it isn't even necessarily as much about like who, right. I could do the work on where's like, you know, where's this policy created? Mm -hmm. How do we move mechanisms? What is get us, you know, what gets us a vote count up to, but my specialty has become about narrative and message about where do we, what story do we want to tell? How do we create effective arguments for the people that are making the decisions, be it, you know, a city council, state, maybe it's bureaucracy and the sort of way then we tell that story to the public, to our audience, to folks that we need to move along and to bring with us. So it's really about storytelling and about effective communication as much as it is about lobbying and the research and the sort of grassroots organizing Mm -hmm. and all these other pieces that are important part of it, right? It all becomes part of a team to get something done. Okay. Okay. And so that, because 
over here, right? Because one of the things that we don't understand an awful lot is because America's got like the federal level government, which is kind of like the overall rule saying like, okay, you, you know, you're not allowed to kill people kind of thing. Whereas the state, they're the individual states make up their own laws. So basically that's why, am I right in saying, is that why in relation to kind of like, uh, like healthcare rights for women and kind of like trans rights and stuff at the moment is even though the federal government can put down a line and say, right, everybody's going to get, um, well, okay, the latest one was, um, I don't know if you heard about the the tweet about one of the major providers of insulin in the States. They got they didn't get their account hijacked, but somebody basically, when Elon Musk rolled out the verified account, somebody pretended to be yeah. this insulin provider and basically said, yeah. Eli Lillian, <laughs> Eli yeah. and basically says the insulin's going to be free. And then they ended up losing like, billions off their stock price because everybody kind of went oh. temporarily yeah, tip for a little right, yeah. bit before they rallied it up but then they said they were going to bring in kind of like a cap on insulin and it appears that while that seems to be getting rolled out there's like states that are red a lot of red states are actually voting against having this insulin cap um and i get i don't know if that's because who they're funded i think it was um robin williams said that politicians should wear kind of like overalls like not like the nascar guys do so you can see who's actually kind of sponsoring them so there's that so that that kind of thing kind of so i mean the interplay between federal state and local governments is complicated Mm. there is sort of cross jurisdiction there is purely right sort of um and the constitution is essentially supposed to limit what the federal government can do yeah. and sort of everything else gets enumerated to the states. And as we've developed and grown as a society and like the future happens and technology emerges, not, those things aren't sort of hard and fast, although you still have the Supreme Court mm-hmm. that will, I think, um, rule or will interpret some of these clauses. Is this federal, is the federal government's jurisdiction? Is this state? That kind of yeah. a thing. Now, when you said, right, the federal government says you can't murder anyone, Actually, that state—it's it, it a state law. It's a, if you murder someone, yeah. you are going to be charged um, and go to a state prison rather than a federal prison. So the, you can't—if you on a—if you murder someone on a military base or in a national park, yeah. you could go to federal prison, right? Because that's their jurisdiction. Yeah. But if you do it, you know, in even if you murder someone in your city, chances are you're going to go to a state penitentiary if you are found guilty of that. So even that's not hard and fast, right? And it is important, I think, to understand how much state governments do and how much they have jurisdiction and how they can fill in the gaps or create bigger gaps from what the federal government has decided. People are constantly obsessed with what's happening in the Senate. Yes. Nothing, right? Nothing is happening. Um, And they just don't pay much attention to, except for when stuff is really terrible, like in Florida and some of these other states, uh, just how much power our state level governments have. And some of these state representative districts have a few thousand members you could like you and all of your neighbors could show up and really make a difference where it would be very difficult to do that same kind of thing in congress and impossible in the senate the power we have because the numbers of you know it's such a small number of constituents that each state senator or state rep has um nebraska's unicameral so they only have one house level but everybody else has two um that they have um 
that you have so much more impact when you focus on what's happening at the state level and what's happening with your healthcare, what's happening in the environment, what's happening to local abortion clinics and your right to choose. All of these are happening at the state level. And the federal government is just supposed to provide a really basic sort of, you know, bottom line tier yeah. and everything above and above. Um, and, and on top of that, you can go to your state government and ask for better, more, gooder, um, and, you know, with the right kind of lobbying strategy and the right activism tools, maybe make that possible. But what you're going to argue to the people in the state of Florida that have their own interests and whoever it is on their little jumpsuit with their logos is you're going to make different arguments in Washington state, right? Where yeah. Frazier and all of his friends hang yeah. out. Um, and that was part of what the suffragists had to figure out, right? That they were trying to decide and go between a state level strategy, state by state versus a federal strategy. And part of that gets played out in the, the game as well. Well, so, and that's a nice kind of segue back into what we should be talking about, which like is the board game. No, we can keep, no, we can talk about this forever, please. No, but that's the whole point. Is like that. That is the whole point. I mean, if you want to listen to a podcast, I've always been interested in the person behind the game, and that's always been my my the kind of the to and fro with my podcasters, and and the the reason that this thing exists was because, yes, I can ask you about kind of like the game. And we, and then you could go on another podcast, and they would ask you about the game. But yeah. this opens up a whole pile of different kind of questions and kind of ways yes. forward and things like that. Because as, because the way okay, the way I see the way I see like a board game usually getting designed, okay, is that somebody will sit down with various pieces of paper, and they will come up with a kind of like a good mechanic. And then, like a good song, right, they'll have a tune and then they'll think about the lyrics and the theme on top of that, yeah? But I was wondering, were you, instead of sitting with several pieces of paper and several pieces of mechanics, were you thinking about, I have a potential idea for a board game, but were you then thinking about different themes that you could kind of bring over? Because it sounds to me that you're kind of like an, an when you're, putting a point across your like trying to educate the person at the same time it's not the case that you're just saying look i'm right and this is why we should do it it's like here's all the reasons why we should be approaching it in this level because you said that you know you're you've been doing a lot of kind of like information and, and almost like um education through that information kind of giving people the facts but in a digestible format that they can then move yeah. forward with so with the likes of like what made you decide well first of all what made you decide to go into kind of like the board game kind of design space? And secondly, I guess, what made you decide out of all of the topics, which I'm pretty sure you could create a, a, a game out of, what made you decide that it was kind of like the women's suffrage kind of idea that you would run with? Sure. Uh, so my story is unique. Um, I know my publisher, Kevin Bertram from Fort Circle Games, hmm. who I don't know who would ever have him on a podcast, but it's like, oh. Some damn fool um, would have him on a podcast. A bit. <laughs> Stay tuned to We Are Not Wizards. Um, so I know Kevin going back to college. Right. Um, like I met him my freshman year of college and we stayed in touch. I worked for him for a little while um, in a, a company that he had and he eventually got around to this like, he's like, I'm going to make board games. I'm like, okay, Kevin, sure. <laughs> 
whatever you say, right? Like, it's it's put your hand on his shoulder and pat him on the shoulder and go, that's okay, Kevin, there you go. Yeah, yeah, you will. What, you just keep dreaming. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he did. Wow. He made Shores of Tripoli. Yeah. It what did really well. He created this sort of community around the game of folks that had playtested and got these great reviews. And he said to a bunch of our friends, "I'm what's the next game I should do? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I think we kicked around some different ideas. Like you were saying, there's all, there's so much, there's so much grist in topics, especially if you're not just looking at wars between 1860 and 1940. So if you, if you expand yeah. beyond yeah. that, that, you know, um, there's just a ton of stuff. And he, so I read an article in 2019 that in 2020, the U.S. would be celebrating the centennial of the 19th Amendment. And I knew about women's suffrage and some of the push. I was a women's studies minor um, mm. in college. And so I had a sort of real, you know, basic understanding of the, the narrative. And I said to Kevin, like, hey, like next year is the centennial. It's going to be this like great moment where people are talking about it. Here's a way to tell the story in a different format. And I think it would make for a really interesting board game. The back and forth, the, the divisions, like the stuff that I knew just felt to me like good um, board game stuff. And instead of him saying, great idea, like I'll talk to you when the board game is done he said great idea go do it <laughs> and i uh-huh it was not what i expected i was a pretty light game right you know i had copies of ticket to ride yeah. and carcassonne i right, grew up as a, a trivial pursuit uh kid which says more about me than it does about trivial pursuit and then um I got right at the beginning of the pandemic a copy of Watergate. Yeah. And Watergate really opened my mind on political narrative storytelling through board game and this sort of two sided game um, with the sort of card driven aspect, right? Like it all starts to sort of yeah. you know, come into place. And so I'm telling Kevin, like, you know, that suffrage idea that I had while I'm playing Watergate, it's really interesting. And I think there's something there. And he said, well, what you need to play is 1960, the making of a president. And the idea that you could play as campaign manager and you would have all these different tracks and that you're like playing out of the electoral college, like it all is just sort of like starting to, to fall into place in my mind. And so I started researching content in, I guess, like May of 2020, yeah. which had some advantages for me. Um, I was unemployed, mm. so I just had a ton of time. Yeah. I was recently sober. I'd gone through recovery. So I had a ton of energy and somewhere I needed to put that energy. Uh -huh. And it was the global pandemic. So I couldn't go out and do anything yeah. else. <laughs> so these like magical factors combined, I, you know, start playing these games a lot and thinking through them. I'm able to, you know, zoom and eventually meet with Kevin to talk through different ideas and mechanics. Um, you know, I had Shores of Tripoli as well. And so that really creates the foundation, right? So we've got this map, hmm. we've got these two decks of cards, like unlike 1960, I think like my research is very much built around support and oppose. And I just, it never even occurs to me that someone might not want to play opposition to suffrage. I learned through playtesting and through initial reaction that people have big feelings about playing the opposed side. But like, you play Nixon, you play Nazis, you play Confederates, like, what's the big whoop? But, uh, big whoop. It's kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of like, even if you play as kind of like the Nazis... You know that they're kind of going to get defeated. And 
there's a kind of a fan, I think it's kind of like, it's a bit close, to, I think it's at the moment, it's a bit close to the bone. When people are saying like, kind of like, we're, we're, we're looking at kind of like the women's rights to vote. And then like in the last two years, like in some cases, a lot of women's healthcare services have been kind of decimated. I think kind of like you sitting there and chuckling and going, <laughs> try and vote this out. <laughs> you know, it's like if you wore a, if you had like a top hat and a kind of twiddly moustache and a cape, you know, um, I think you would be fine. But I think, yeah, I think it was, it was kind of noticeable. What I noticed in the game is that when you're playing kind of like the solo, the solo mode, you can't kind of play as the guys. You can't kind of sit there and go, right, that's it. I'm stopping you from voting, stopping you from voting, stopping you from voting. You kind of did that. And that was an actual kind of direct result of people, I kind of, you said the play testing, people just didn't want to play as kind of like the yeah. incumbents, I guess. Yep. So then came the oppo bot. <laughs> I think like um, um, Fort Circle and Kevin really believe in solitaire mode. Yeah. I think Kevin plays a lot of games alone, <laughs> and so um, just I'm he and his wife that. play a ton I'm of games. He has he. I'm keeping that. He has he's, he, he's gonna listen. He's gonna listen to this, right? And then he's gonna. So. Kevin's coming he on the show friends. potentially, and like he's potentially going to be confirmed. He's going to, he's definitely coming on in around about a week's time. So by that time, depending on how quickly I get this edited, Kevin is going to have a right to. We're going to have Kevin responds section in that podcast where you can respond to everything that you say. So, <laughs> all right. Well, uh-huh. Uh-huh. let me. Utilize my time and space here while no, I still no, I have mean, it. Fine. Not been... I mean, I'd say you just get it out your system. You just say yeah, good, say yeah. how you feel, Kevin. <laughs> you lonely, lonely solo <laughs> solo playing man. But uh, so the solo mode was really important as a publisher and what the market demands. Um, but that created the um, sort of existence or the possibility of co-op mode, mm. which I think has been an incredibly important piece of the game that if I, I, I think opposition is important. I think understanding backlash to social movements is critical. Yeah. A lot of people tell me they never thought about how women opposed the right to vote. And so creating a, a deck where you get to see some of these women saying they don't want the right to vote for any other women yeah. and the way the industry, I, I, I think there's a lot to learn, but you're right. It's not like playing a Nazi with like an air raid run, right? Like it is, the xenophobia card and it is the removing of power and the like preventing of rights and it feels you know it it would it very tied to oppression right like you're playing oppression essentially whereas in a confederacy game maybe not so much but also i think as a kid i mean when i was a kid growing up you would play you know you would go around playing kind of like we're going to be the british army you're going to be like you know you're going to be like the Nazis or the German army or whatever. You know, you'd have toy soldiers. You, you, <laughs> it's like yeah. the, not like my, you know, my dad says, "Here you go, son. You can play this." And he says, "What is it?" It's like, well, on here it's got the British government and you've got the Pankhursts on the other side. <laughs> you play? And it's not like you know, maybe if they both had guns, then that'd be kind of like a, <laughs> like a fair fight. A fit, yeah, yeah it'd be an interesting kind of an interesting kind of thing. But I mean, what's it's kind of strange because, well, it's not kind of strange, but the game, the core, the the core game is it's a, it's a two player game, 
I mean, just like Shores yeah. of Tripoli, and I've played Shores of Tripoli as well, and it's it was kind of interesting how similar they were in kind of like base mechanics, but ironically, and Kevin's going to either like this or not like this next statement, but I don't care, Kevin. You get your chance. Um, There's no stakes, right? It doesn't feel like there are stakes in that game. It's... It's almost like Votes for Women is kind of like acts more like a war game than the Shores of Tripoli did. If you know, play that for him. Um, And I'll tell you why, okay? Because in the Shores of Tripoli, you're not kind of getting the back. I said this in the review. It's not, you're not kind of getting the back and forward of what you would consider like a, I'd say, consider a normal war game. What I'm saying is in Shores of Tripoli, it's almost like, and heels, heel, heel. I'll, when I'm speaking to him, you, we can chat about this anyway. But in shows of Tripoli, it feels like you're kind of like on a roller coaster, and you're deciding when or not, whether or not when you're opening and closing your eyes and when you're putting your hands in the air. But the general kind of destination is always kind of like the same. You know, there's certain parts within the game that things escalate. There's different armies that are brought on. There's an entire bigger mechanic that's kind of brought on. Whereas in For Votes for Women, you do feel there's a general kind of ebb and flow. And as you get further and further into the rounds of the game and the event cards, the bigger event cards that come out in the later acts really kind of do, you know, they really kind of sway things kind of back and forward. And the fact you've got the little ticks and crosses, which is cool. I really like that. You kind of you kind of get more of that kind of back and forward with kind of like a a war game ish kind of thing. I don't know if that makes sense. It made sense in my head. Oh, it makes it to me. The game uses the language of war game to tell a story about this nonviolent political struggle. Yes. Right um, now, does that make it a war game? is a question people have big feelings about. And one that I don't know if I really care. I mean, I think that this, like, some war gamers have been super supportive, embracing, they see it, it makes sense, they feel it. Other people, not so much. And that it is a theme not worthy of the language. That hurts my feelings. And is, I think, kind of not nice Mm. um but i think that i you know it's interesting it it, i think it creates more questions about war games and the war game community than it does answer anything about votes for women votes for women exists it's out there it people that aren't war gamers really like it people that are war gamers really like it I, i guess it's like it to me this like what is a war game? What isn't a war game? It's been going on before Votes for Women. It'll keep going on. And they're just projecting their struggles about identity and about the sort of in-group and what counts onto my game in this moment. And they'll soon lose interest and move on to the next one that they don't think counts and sort of defining their identity through exclusion. I think it's like not how I want to live my life yeah. and my values yeah. about inclusion. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're these awards kind of make a difference, right? People look at these awards list and decide whether to buy a game or not, you know, and 
So there is some promotional um, value in being considered a good war game. Although I've had a conversation, I think it was talking um, somebody recently about like, does it, if I'm trying to help expand war gaming, which I am, right? Yeah. That more people find it approachable and can like learn some basic mechanics that then would go into some of the heavier themes, you know, do I want to be tied as a war game and cast and mold it and, you know, get that brand? Or can it be like, oh, hey, you like boats for women? You might like Twilight Struggle. Yeah. And not have to be tied to that label. Um, so I try to stay out of it, but I think sometimes people are mean and I don't like that. The thing, the irony is, or this, and I don't. This is me doing an Alanis Morissette. The irony is, like, probably <laughs> it's the biggest really statement is not ironic. It's just a pain in the ass. Is that <laughs> my opening? My opening paragraph to my review on Shores of Tripoli was that um, this game uh, talks about the uh, the political. <laughs> it's something to do with the political campaign of the American naval merchant navy force or whatever, um, trying to prevent. Uh, the piracy of uh, the Tripolitan Empire. Uh, some of you people might not be interested in kind of games involving politics. So I'm just warning you now. And it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like, because I knew obviously the kind of the votes for women kind of, uh, I don't know. Has there, in your experience, has there been a lot of people who have said, I'm not going to play this game because it's about because it's about a historical event that took place a hundred years ago as they run off to play kind of undaunted <laughs> instead. Uh, not to my face, right. which is something that's been interesting about this experience is that I see blog posts about the chatter. Mm. I don't necessarily see the chatter. I think this is a conversation about like, you know, a, a game about women's stuff sucks. And I think those, like, if that, I hear that those conversations are happening. I don't see them. I think it's in Discord channels. I think it's in Facebook groups. I think it's in closed environments yeah. where it feels safe yeah. to say girls drool and boys war rules or whatever it might be. Um, you know, and I think I see people that are like, you know, uh, the game got written up on IGN.com, yeah. which primarily a video game and sort of attracts that kind of type, uh, you know, or a certain type of a certain type. Yeah, because it was, lots of people it was, video games are weird. Friend, a friend of the show, Matt Thrower, that wrote the review. We had a discussion about it. <laughs> and he sent me the link to the review. And Did you read the comments? It's like that gif where you see the person kind of zipping up in the hazmat suit and they've gone, right, I'm about to go and, yeah, and it's kind of like great. I was. I'd like to say I was really surprised, but I kind of wasn't surprised by the number of people who had kind of like generic avatars and no uh, bravery yeah. <laughs> to mm -hmm. see who they were. It was, you know, it's kind of. It, I walked in there exactly what I expected, and it, it, it you know, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't disappoint. <laughs> except it, I think it was. A little more than I expected, but still understood. Like, I don't, I, this is a product of um, promotion, yeah. right? That my game was reviewed, that Matt reviewed it on IGN. Yeah. 
is worth so much more. There's so many more people that will read the review yeah. and think about buying the game than will go down into the comment section and be convinced, oh, it's a game about history and we don't like that, right? Like, who cares about women's history? This is a dumb idea for a game. Yeah. There have been some comments on the Board Game Geek, right? Like some one ratings. There's been some yeah. that. And again, right, like, if you're gonna get over a hundred reviews on uh, 200, I don't know whatever we're at now, like you're gonna get, right? It's a product of the success. And I would not trade the success for avoiding these people. I think you get, no, I think the thing with, and even like everybody talks about the BGG review system saying that I know some people that, you know, they just go in and that's what they do. They mark a game as a one, regardless if they've played it or not. Um, I've heard people talking about marking games as a one that they're interested in so that they can go back in and they can look at those games again because they filter them by the <gasps> fact that they've got one star. Because you can go in and... What kind of maniac? <laughs> you can do a five! What? Yeah. But, I mean, it's just like some people kind of have their have their kind of their systems. I think um, what's surprising about Votes for Women and the people that I know that have played it have been very surprised by the level of complexity that's involved in the game. Because I have played games that have a kind of a um that one of the one of the aims because because when I'm reviewing games I look at the aim of the game. Yeah. So yeah. there's games that I have played which, you know, the theme is based around kind of history and education and try to teach people about maybe a subject that they're just not aware of. And sometimes you walk away from those games going, right, the the point of this game isn't to sit down and go, that was a game. It's to, it's to for them to sit down and then have a pile of kind of reference materials that leads to almost like a classroom environment. I've played a couple, I've played a couple of games like that now where if you take it as a game, you're kind of like, mm, it's it's fine. You know, it's a game. It's okay. I'm not. You know, I'm. I'm going to play it a couple more times. There's certain people I want to play with it, but I'm not going to kind of rush. It's not going to make any of my top ten lists. But the surprising thing about votes for women was there was a a lot of crunch in there. There was a lot of game in there. There was a lot of strategy in there. And when I played it, I remember playing it for the first time and just you know looking at the person I was playing with and just going. There's a lot more here than um, I was expecting. I'm not. What you know? I what a what set those expectations? What it, it's it because it's a historical game. There were not expectations because of educational games. Yeah, what? I think it was a bit of both because I've played quite a few kind of edu what again kind of educational games that have been less kind of crunchy. Um, that haven't been kind of labeled, this is a combat game. And I went in kind of going, I didn't expect it to be as kind of in your face, kind of two sides directly opposing each other and the struggle kind of back and forward and the different tactics that you had. And it was very much a kind of a, um, there seems to be, there's a lot of avoidance for kind of like, a lot of games end up kind of being cooperative. You can't really do a kind of a kick people's ass. You can't kind of, have people kind of fighting back. Everybody's kind of wanting to be happy and friendly. But this was a game where you're kind of like, you're playing cards and you're going like, right, I'm just, I'm just putting, you know, I'm just adding, uh, 
you know, I'm just adding people here, 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 and here, and that means I'm flipping this one, this one, this one, and this one. Um, so there was a, it was quite vicious, which was kind of, which kind of took, it kind of took me by surprise, I think, on how crunchy it was. I mean, the 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 history is contentious, mm. right? Like, I think that that drives from the true and accurate reading of the history that, you know, there is no compromise. I mean, there's compromise in suffrage and that's only the white women get to vote. And that is insufficient, yeah. right? Yeah. Like we do not like that. Right. At this point, um, we understand that it's women vote or they don't, and they aren't people and they aren't considered, you know, um, persons under, you know, or citizens in our, right. And it, there was a lot of losing, in the suffrage movement that I don't think people necessarily give the suffragists a lot of I don't know, credit for that. Like, it was not just like, we want the vote. Okay, sure. Here you go. Yeah. Right. Like it was like time and like failed campaign and this state and then this state again. And right, th- there was just like all of this. And then there was like these divisions and they were tearing each other apart. And then they were kind of coming back together because they were realizing they couldn't get anything done alone. So like all the history is so good. The story the real, like, full story is so fraught and dynamic mm-hmm. and, you know, that it comes through, like, the gameplay, I hope, does sort of, um, it's, gives its due to the history rather than the, the history trying to, like, create game play that makes it you know like i wanted the game to feel tense because it did feel tense and they they didn't know the suffragists didn't know that they were necessarily going to be successful once the amendment passed the the congress it you know final role has been a little bit controversial in reviews that like that's how it comes down is just rolling of dice and that that's just luck and chance right well like yeah, the suffragists got lucky. They didn't think they were going to win Tennessee. They weren't sure about where they were going to go yeah. next. Like it, there was maybe six or eight states, I think, left to vote, um, at that moment. So there was still a lot of ground left to, to fight over and not hospitable. Um, and so, you know, and again, right, like the, the history drove those themes, those divisions, those, right, like what's happening in the Senate where they're where in the Congress mm. where we're gaining ground and losing it and gaining, like, it's all like thanks to the real lived experience. And is that, is that what drove you to kind of put as much flavor text as you did in the cards? Because again, this is something else that I experienced was that we're kind of, you're sitting there kind of like normally, I guess it was the same with Shores of Tripoli as well. Is that you're kind of you're you're sitting there with your hand of cards, and and for people that haven't played the game, as you play through the game, basically the kind of the event cards that you play get, kind of get more and more extreme. Which kind of like the at the beginning, it's like maybe says okay if you if you you know add you know add an extra campaigner to this state in this territory whereas to when you get to the end it's kind of like pretty much extreme flip all these if you've got one thing here you can add four here and stuff like that but <clears throat> that was reflecting kind of like it kind of that was i found it intriguing that it kind of reflected as things were kind of getting to the line and they were getting to this conclusion where either suffrage was going to happen or it wasn't 
that there was there was kind of more extremes and kind of like kind of both sides more the the action was really ramped up and the the kind of the desperation to kind of quell it kind of ramped up and you can see that on the flavor text on the card which meant i was sitting there reading that going oh okay oh okay because it in the in here when when i was in higher history we learned about the suffrage movement in the uk and it came down to there was a lot of kind of upper class english women who wanted to vote women did a lot of work during the first world war and at the end of the first world war because they were they were good old good old girls we allowed them to vote and that's kind of like and then there was you get told about the you know the lady that jumped in front of the king's horse and got killed and that's that's kind of about it it's kind of you don't go into they don't go into kind of back and forth i guess you can go in and you can study the subject like anything else but it's like this is a thing that's happened and it was great well done kind of thing and there wasn't much opposition right they just had to like yell loud enough and then or i guess with upper class ladies they would like i don't know right wear 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 a ribbon the the sash ribbons yeah the sash sash thing across their chest yeah Um, that and that's that's how they got the vote yeah in the united (laughs) states the narrative was set by a few suffragists because they wrote a seven volume book called the history of the woman suffrage movement they really understood the value of history is written by the victors Mm. they had not won and they decided to name themselves victors originators and uh, you know the full right they were the ones that did it they invited and it was you know anyone that you might name uh susan b anthony elizabeth Cady stanton Mm. this woman matilda gage they wrote this book and decided that that was the history of it there was a woman named lucy stone who was invited to share some of her papers and materials and that you know her contributions and she said no history will decide and no one knows who lucy stone is (laughs) right um because that's not actually how history isn't a person right like people create history and decide who we focus on like we know how we tell these stories so the flavor text became a way for me to write almost a textbook in text message form right because it's 160 characters on the bottom of these cards um that uh, you know what was missing from some of these um major narratives or what we tell people at women's history month right when we get all the 31 days mm-hmm. to be women's history experts um that their the flavor text became a way to sort of tell a little bit more of the story and creating the cards themselves making sure that women of color were included making sure that industries who opposed were mentioned making sure that natural disasters and how they affect right that there's all of this stuff going on um in the way that race and class and you know what was happening in the south all factor in you know let me tell a, more of what we've researched and discovered and put together since the history of woman suffrage was published in the 1910s and you know gives you know not a counter narrative but a fuller narrative and a more accurate one um, based on you know sort of where research and sort of popular understanding is now is that why you decided to put in a lot of the kind of the supporting documents in the box as well just like shows i mean shows of tripoli had like kind of letters and it also had a whole section and it actually had a whole section which was here's a design document on why we why we went it was almost like a there was apologies from kevin to say 
oh, we didn't put this ship in. I know that they were working with this ship. It was almost like he was preempting the kind of the history buffs coming in and going, I think you'll actually find it was a three-mass frigate. But <laughs> when you open up the box for votes for women, there's there's like there's so many kind of different documents. And was that was that something that you it was a conscious decision from the beginning that you sat down and said, look, if this is going out there and if we're taking this to you know, we're taking this out there, then I want these to go in every single box because I know the game's really, really good, but I also want to make sure that there's there's kind of some educational and material involved in that. So if people it can be like a stepping stone to people learning more about the movement before going off and kind of discovering other stuff themselves. The historical documents do a couple of amazing things. Mm. One is that they let the sources speak for themselves. Mm. It is not my interpretation or just like a snippet of a quote on a flavor text. It is the telegram that Anna Shaw Howard wrote to Alice Paul before the 1913 procession. It is the letter that, you know, the head of the standard guano company wrote about, you know, if you let Emmeline Pankhurst in the United States, I'll never vote Democratic again. It is all right. It lets these people, it um, also lets us you know, it refers back to a bunch of the cards, right? So, um, Maria de Lopez in, um, is a card, you know, active in California and on the West Coast in the 1913 campaign. Uh, but it also, um, she translated or wrote the uh, Spanish language flyer that's included in the, um, in the, the doc, in the box. Uh, it also gives me a range. We include a letter from, um, Abigail Adams to, um, to her husband telling him to remember the ladies during the constitutional convention. Yeah. And it includes, uh, the, the voter registration slip that the, mom of the deciding vote in Tennessee who was able to like convince him to vote right her voter registration card it gives us like so this range of you know centuries this gives us a range of you know the the sample ballot that that um suffragists passed out in Chicago when they were trying to vote for women's suffrage and teaching people what how to vote for um for suffrage uh so it is um a way that people immerse into the history of the cards that the cards themselves are just kind of too small and too busy to do. Uh, we worked with a, a professor of women's history to identify some of these documents and figure out what would go in. And I think Kevin was like, narrow it down to three. <laughs> and I gave him 15 yeah. and we compromised on 13. And he will say now that like he was always in favor of it and that he like blames it on his wife or something. But it is something so special and something that so many people remark about when they see the game. Yeah. It sets it apart. It becomes a museum in a box. The uh, designer's notes has a description and a timeline of each of these documents. So it's not just what the heck is this yeah. you can actually read through and answer for yourself yeah. and then dive deeper into whatever you um you want to learn more about yeah which is kind of interesting because i ha- I must admit i have played several board games now in my time and i don't remember even in the ones that have you know are based around historical events go into as much detail to say they kind of expect almost like a knowledge before you kind of go in, whereas you're kind of saying, well, I expect you probably maybe don't, aren't kind of aware aware of this. Um, but the letters and, and that, the historical documents aside, one of the things that several people that I've spoken to 
and I noticed was that the graphical design and the general artistic design direction of the game is striking. I mean, you literally have the red crosses and the, you know, the red crosses and the green ticks. You have like these kind of like pillars for the, the, the Senate and stuff like that. Was that something that you were involved in? Oh, oh yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, so the, so we would call it, uh, green uh green check marks mm. and red x's mm. right but that's that's a ballot right i vote um on an electronic machine here in the wash in washington mm. and like that's just like that's to me says election and it yeah. says voting and enfranchisement so get working with panda to create those wooden um pieces and i think we went through a couple of different designs because they were like too brittle yeah. and so we just had to like you know, alternate that kind of a yeah. thing um and the meeples as well were the same thing right there are like suffragist meeples and there are like angry dude raised fist meeples in opposition the congressional columns i love deeply it all like that kind of very clear it says so much, these small little pieces. I love them. And because Kevin is a good publisher, we include extras of each because things break yeah. and like people, pieces get lost. And I think that kind of like balance on um, attention to the history and attention to the product is part of what, you know, is this sort of like magic calculus that came together for, um, for votes for women. The design was driven by Bridget Delicato, who is a remarkable graphic designer mm. who created the iconography of the cards and the layout and the sort of, um, there's a very like scrapbook pastiche that she created out of all of those cards yeah. and the reverse of the cards as well. Incredibly talented, has done a number of other uh, board games design and was just responsive and like smart and would say like, like, that's not going to work. And I'm like, but I like this picture. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. Pick a new, right? Yeah. Like, and so having a, a graphic designer that is so talented was also just sort of like the stars aligning to bring it all together. Yeah, because, I mean, when it sits on the table, I mean, it's like we mentioned kind of like Twilight Struggle, but even like Watergate and stuff like that. When it's out on the table, it's like it, it kind of draws your eye. It does, you know, once ever when you're kind of mid-game, or even towards the end, you can actually, again, it kind of, it helps to build up the tension as a game. Because if mm -hmm. you're, whether, depending, regardless of what side you're on, all you can see is like ticks and crosses kind of getting put down. And normally in these types of games, um, you usually don't know the end result until everybody's kind of, it reaches a point in the game where everything stops and then you kind of decide. Whereas it's like there's you could tell straight away by looking at it going, Oh my goodness, they're gonna take that state and then I have to take this state and then they have to take this area and that means they've got this and you could see it kinda of straight away. And that was kinda of like it added to kinda of like the overall the overall tension and, and, and it kinda of really, really kinda of ramped it up. And that was regardless yeah. of the no, no, no matter how many times you kinda of played it, you kinda of didn't <laughs> you didn't get used to kind of going oh yeah this is really going to build up you're kind of like going oh he's oh no they've just you know and it was kind of like going from <laughs> going from there well the game is asymmetrical yeah. right and so it's hard to necessarily know that you've got 30 like you know 36 to to 13 yeah. states right like you can feel like you've got 25 states and you're doing good yeah. but you still need those 11 more and so 
it, it really helps to be able to visualize and that sort of final voting mechanism or once you've passed through Congress to place the ticks out really gives a better visual of where you are, yeah. but you're still, it's still not you know, it's still not clear because you have to have such an overwhelming majority of support on suffrage side. I guess, where'd you go next then? I mean, is this, uh, oh. is this, uh, have you already kind of started to get kind of like, kind of emails from Kevin saying, so like we've done this because, and this is a strange thing, votes for women over here isn't as readily available as it is in the, in the US. Yeah. Oh, I hear about it. Those those Australians are super mad about the shipping situation. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um but are you already thinking about the yeah. next game? Have you got a couple of different ideas? I mean, because the the option could be well we could take just a different topic and we could do something similar or are you thinking well I'm going to challenge myself and go for a, a kind of a slightly different design? on the next game. Yeah, so um, I've just recently started to seriously entertain the idea of the next one. The launch has been overwhelming. I've been really lucky and grateful to be able to talk to lots of people. Yeah. Uh, like you, not as funny, but like you and other, you know, sort of podcasts. Uh, and so I've just had a lot to do with the, um, with the, the launch for Votes for Women. But, you know, what's next has been a natural question in a lot of these conversations. Some folks immediately were like, oh, a 19th Amendment game, you should do the Equal Rights Amendment, which was proposed but never ratified. Um, and, you know, it would put a, a new amendment into the Constitution, in the American Constitution yeah. that says, you know, like, you cannot be sexist or something yeah. like that. Uh, it, right, that would be the sort of like phase two, votes for women to electric boogaloo, right? That would be the next. Um, but I don't... I, I, that doesn't have as much appeal to me. I'm not convinced of the political strategy behind it. And so yeah. like to devote a bunch of time and energy on like trying to quantify a popular strategy in order to right, gamify that just hasn't been as interesting. What I am committed to is this idea of movement games. You know, there are a lot of really interesting games happening in the space. I think of Taylor Schuss and uh, Stonewall Uprising, yes. right? I think of, right, um, even Alex... Um, Alex Knight's Land and Freedom game about the movements of um, the Spanish Civil War and how they worked together or didn't, you know, sort of depending on your cooperative level. So American movements that can remind us of where we've gone and where we can go. Um, you know, I think there's some interesting um, sort of ground to look at in the, suff in the um, environmental movement because they've had this big question of, right, how does industry interact with the environmental, right? And as wind and solar come online and we see these alternative forms of energy, is that creating the kind of popular will we need to actually tackle the big challenges in front of us? I think nuclear is an interesting sort of wild card in there. Um, I work now in the labor movement and the American labor movement is full of really fascinating people and sacrifice yeah. and right, like there's a lot of need and we're in this moment of resurgent interest in labor unions as service workers at Starbucks and um, some of these other, you know, retail locations are starting to unionize and, um, you know, and so that there's ideas sort of floating around, but I don't see how I could make a zombie game. I was just about I don't to know. say that. It's <laughs> for the next one, it'd be like, and here we have big giant electric boogaloo robots, the kind of the fighting game. And it's like from the maker of Votes for Women and you just be like that. Comes like color splotch, right? Like, and some of these, those are 
like now at this point, like a walk in the park, a national park, a cascade, right? Like these nature, verdant, like these nature games are super popular. I mean, wonderfully done, right? Like, um, that's just been become what I see as a huge piece of the market. And it's interesting. And those games are beautiful and they're nice, right? But this notion that we can tell stories and bring people into movements and help some of these bigger, like my life is dedicated to causes bigger than myself. Right. And so could I give that up for a game and right? could I spend all of the time and heartbreak and tears and blood and everything on something that's nice, but doesn't do what I in my heart know I am here on this earth to do, which is to bring people together to get big things done on behalf of all of us. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I've got, so, so what's like a story, something as evocative and as engaging and as interesting as the suffrage movement that I can sort of, I think the mechanics are going to be much different, right? Like it can't be a constitutional amendment game. I don't think a temper, I don't think a temperance movement game and right. Like prohibition sells. (laughs) I think the gaming community just loves their beer too much and that's fine. Um, but what tells a story about moving us forward? Because that's an important part of Votes for Women is about coming together for each other, for our sort of democratic personhood and, you know, how we get that done and be involved and change the country for the better. That's the part that I'm really committed and serious and interested in. So any game that I do is just because I'm a nerd like that, going to have to do that same thing. Have you then become more involved in actually playing more a lot more modern tabletop games then I, I'm, I'm guessing yes. that you're kind of getting asked kind of like to to come along you're getting more involved in more events and like occasionally kind of demoing the game and stuff like that and it'll be like, oh we can play this and he's like you can oh well let's play let's have a round of watergate or let's you know let's play twilight yeah. struggle or you know have you have you found that you've become more immersed in kind of playing a lot more modern games because of, I guess, being more involved in the community? With yeah. Votes for um, Women? I think you know, the events that I've done, it's just like they've been Votes for Women events. And so I'm walking around <laughs> demoing, I'm giving a speech. I, I don't have time, yeah. I think, to like to do anything else. But I have been more interested in purchasing titles like Stonewall Uprising. Yeah. I got... Uh, my husband is also a big nerd, if you can imagine, and got Halotype recently, okay. which is about the um, dino- discovering dinosaurs, and you are a professor, a research assistant, or uh, like a grad student, and you're like going to dig sites. And, I don't know, like it's just publisher parish kind of a game, a worker placement, and so the you know that kind of um, and we just got um, Star Wars the deck building oh, yeah, game. Yeah. I haven't played that right, and so it just like I think about games more i talk about games more um and so i've been playing games more and for like coming out of development and being able to like i was just playing a lot of votes for women for a while and it's nice to take a little break <laughs> um you know every once in a while i play again and i'm like oh yeah this is fun it's cool it's reminding yourself that this is i'm actually creating a product that people are meant to be entertained and having downtime with because I can imagine, yeah, a, imagine you're going to be going, right, I've played this 140 times now and I just literally want to spend the next half an hour just snapping all of these crosses. <laughs> one by yes. one. 
one by one. <laughs> but like I, you know, I was uh, did like a girls' weekend recently and taught a bunch of non-board gaming friends, and it's just sort of important to remember that normies are out there, and that this is a game that like people can grab a hold of, but it will. If you have never played anything yeah. before, you gotta like you know. Um, I don't. I couldn't see them reading the rule book, and it's a great rule book. It's so good, but like there's some videos online, right? Like there are all of these other tools that are helpful. I think we're doing the second printing soon, which is wow. very exciting. And I think there's going to be a player's aid in the um, in the oh, box. Oh yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. For us non-Americans, kind of going. So is that Missouri? Or is that Montana? So there's or is that also a state code list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out Americans are not great at that game either <laughs> of knowing what the state codes are. Don't feel like it's just, it was not American focused. It was like nerd bias that uh, created that We're problem. Just, like, Sorry. just looking at that and just going, I have no idea. It's like, put your, it was like, it was on the cars. It's like, yeah, put two campaigners in Michigan or whatever. I was like, going. Is that MI? Is that MO? Is that MC? And it's like, well, it's not Texas, so let's work our way back from there. So that's so that's kind of thing. Um, if there was room on the map, that would be ideal. We're gonna do a, a card that has like a reference sheet for the um, completely acceptable, and it's a good. Ex- I no, I was hoping you would recall every single copy that you've printed, and then and then correct your mistake, and then send, send it back out again. Please. There's one on Board Game Geek you can print yourself and add it to your box. Okay, I'll let you off for that. There you go. <laughs> if people have listened along tonight and they won <laughs> and and they're busy you made it this far busy, like throwing tables and stuff like that. If your name's Kevin <laughs> Stay angry, Kevin. You'll get your turn. Uh, Die mad. <laughs> stay, stay angry. Go and get yourself a snack. You'll feel less angry. Um, <laughs> and they want to follow you on the internet webs. Where do you exist on the internet webs? I am on Twitter at at Tory Lynn. It's T O R Y L Y N N. A search for Tory Brown or Votes for Women will probably get you there as well. Um, and I don't, there's a, a an Instagram page, Votes for Women Game. And if you have played and want to take pictures, I appreciate anything that you share and tag with either of those accounts uh, because it is uh, very nice to see people playing and it's very cheap content to post, which I also really appreciate. Excellent. We'll make sure that we put all the links in the show notes so that we have got notes to show if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to just go to the internet except sure we are not wizards and you shall find us in all the different wonderful electronic places of where dreams and potential nightmares are also made so we're on instagram and we've got our blog which is we're not wizards tabletop.com we've got our podcast where you can listen to all the wonderful other episodes that we've done which is we're not wizards. Do you have a podcast apparently so and uh, if you like what you've listened to tonight, then please go to your podcast catcher of choice and drop us a rating or a review. Um, Spotify is apparently where it's at. If you are going to Spotify and you decide you want to give us a rating or a review, um, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. But don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average. And I'm just a little bit average. 
but the person who's not been average is rather wonderful, rather fantastic. Tori Brown. Thank you, thank you, thank Yay! you. So it- the crowd goes wild. <laughs> or, or, or shunning silence like this. <laughs> um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing to remember is that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Tori? Not at all, even a little bit. And would a wizard even tell you if they were? They'd probably be using some kind of spell. <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Tori. Say goodbye, Tori. Goodbye, Tori. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Make something awful. And uh, like at the end of things, you usually come full circle. We're coming fort circle. Um, check out Vote for the Women if you can. Um, it might put a couple of crosses out there but it's certainly going to tick a lot of boxes but until the next time goodbye a wizard is never late Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.